Yeah, all right. Now, I know the names on the rock, you know, they say the Settlers Rock, and those are the Settlers, but I'm no Brainiac, but I have to believe that there were some Settlers here before all those white dudes. Yeah, I, th- I think they were called indigenous people. Yeah, Native Americans. Native or... Americans, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think they, didn't didn't they build yellow kittens? I, <laughs> I doubt that I part. Oh wait. oh, wait a minute. Hey, we're rolling. Oh, well, then let's roll. I'm Rich. And I'm Mark. And we are Two, two guys, guys on Block, Block Island. All right, we got a great guest for some fun conversation with us today. Uh, he's very knowledgeable in uh, certain aspects of uh, the history of Block Island going way back. So he's going to go back and then probably way back. He has a lot of knowledge about uh, what was going on here before the Block Island we know. And that's my friend Pat Cobb. Welcome to the studio, Pat. Thank you very much. Glad you join us today. Glad I could be here. So just to give you guys a little reference, Pat and I are, are good friends. Um, but Mark, you hardly know Pat, really, right? I, and Well, apparently we met each other. Uh, <laughs> I forgot. You helped me load some lumber into my truck at one point. Uh, out of a truck. Out of a truck. And build your deck. Thank you. You Wait, <laughs> did you help me build the actual deck? I helped you lay it out, and then I left. You did? <laughs> Cheryl, Cheryl told me to come. That was really nice. Mm-hmm. Thank oh. you so much. And I'm sorry I don't remember that, but you know, my, I'm a little foggy these days. These things come and go. Yeah. So, yeah. Pat, we, we like to start, I guess, off with them telling us a little bit about, like, when did you first come to Block Island? And you know give give us a little like history of when you first came and when you decided to stay did you stay right from the beginning that sort of stuff so sure the first time i came to black island i was about 15 i was working on a dragger out of point judith we would drag all day up and down clay head come into old harbor sell our wares captain fred jones the name of the boat was the baby the third sorry what's a dragger a dragger is a fishing boat, which would be called an eastern dragger, when the wheelhouse is in the stern, and we would put nets over the side, and we would drag for a lobster bait, or whatever we may come up with. What's the weirdest thing you found in the nets? <laughs> shells. 150 millimeter uh, cannon shells. Oh, like really? military shells. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty neat. Like World War Empty II? shells, I hope? They were all empty. But they were four feet high, so you imagine this shell could go at least six miles when it was fired from the ship. Holy so, cow. So you drank up the fishing net and there's four foot shells in it. Pretty scary. So do you think, I wonder where that came from, like practicing firing? Because they used to f- practice a lot more around here. I, when I was a kid, you'd hear the, the, you know, the gunboats firing. Didn't they, didn't they have a test area between here and the mainland or between? there was a, there was a Westerly certain... in here, there was a place where they could pick up ammo loaded onto the boats come over here to block island sit offshore and practice wow wow practice just shooting at the water i would imagine though targets out in the water actually really yeah they they'd put they'd them tow them out and they'd leave them out there and they'd have to figure out what was going on and not only were they doing that they were building torpedoes in newport and testing them around here <laughs> What? Really? Was this World War II era? That's correct. Wow. And some of the torpedoes, um, which were alive, um, were found later by draggers and brought up from the ocean in the nets. And sometimes the propellers would start to spin 
And the panic would begin. Oh, you, you'd get the thing up on the deck of the boat and the propeller on the torpedo would kick back on like it hadn't finished its job and Correct. it's ready. Correct. Whoa. Holy shit. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, that's not the fish you're looking to catch. No, I was going to say. Yikes. What'd you catch today? A near-death experience. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Is that? I wonder if that's why they say fishing is one of the most deadliest jobs in the world. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Oh, my gosh. So how long did you do that for? It was a summer job. You know, oh, really? Yeah. So went dragging one summer. About what year was this? Give or take. We like to tell people it doesn't 65. matter. 65. Oh, okay. 66. It's going back a ways. Yeah. And then from there to lobster boats, hauling lobster traps yep. out of Point Judith from four o'clock in the morning till two in the afternoon. And that was back. The lobster was good. There was a lot of lobster around. Four boxes a day. I think I was making $320 a week, which was a lot of money. Right. For a kid, um, you had to have your sea legs and you had to have a strong back. Uh, but I paid off. I tried fishing once just to see what it was like, commercial fishing, and I my hat is off to anybody who was able to do that for more than a week because that's an insane lifestyle. Yeah, and you probably weren't on like the the nice uh, the boats like they have in like the deadliest catch with the full nice kitchens and all that kind of stuff. And not at all. Yeah, just a old forty uh, four foot long Novi hull with an open stern, Oof. and One, just the hauler on the side. The hauler on the side, and yep. you pulled it up, flipped out the bugs, hauled it back to the stern, coiled the rope the right way, went and picked up the next one. Yep. Yeah, and then. If you were going to move, if I know, were they laden tra- like strings, like trawls, trawls, they call it. Yes. Okay. So how many lobster pots would be in a trawl? Anywhere from 10 to 20. And if you're going to move the whole trawl. So if you fished good, if I remember this correctly, if you fished good, you know, if you had a good catch, you just put them back in on the same location. But sometimes they come up dry a few times, time to move. And is that when I see them like stacked on the back of the boat and then they... So what do they do? They throw one off, and then they start to pull each other off as they go? Yeah, they're all tied together. There's a one buoy in the beginning, and there's a middle buoy, and then there's an end buoy. And you shoot them off the stern, and nice. if it's a good spot, you turn around and haul them back and drop them right back there again. And the guy you don't like on the boat, you tell him to stand right in that coil of rope. <laughs> you, you stay right here and keep an eye on those pots yeah. as they go overboard. Yeah. In between the pots and piling them, you had to measure them and peg them. And back then, you used a little wooden peg about the size of your fingernail, and you had to shove it in there, the chopper so they wouldn't get you, and then throw them in the tank, run that pot to the stern. Yep. The next one would be up already. And that just moving and grooving, moving and grooving. And so, so pegging was before they had the rubber bands. You would they would jam oh, peg oh, oh. into the into the joint, right? Is that how it works? Yes. And you, you held the claw with your thumb and you slipped it behind the back of the claw, the smallest claw, and it just clipped in. How many times did they get you? The the lobsters, the bugs. I got twice. I got really bad cut, and it got down to the you know the bone and everything, Oof. but. They fix you up out there because you're out there to fish. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Anything they can use, and they used to have this hot wax that they would light with their cigarette lighter and drip it on your flesh, and then it would harden, and then they'd put a Band-Aid on it and say, get back to work. Yep. Well, In the kitchen, yeah. we used to use super glue, I think, right? The chef's yep. like crazy would glue like works. crazy glue yeah. your, your, your cuts closed. Yep. 
Yeah. Or the finger condom. Yep. Then those. Yeah. A combination of the two, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've used tape. Whatever yeah. you got to do to Whatever. get through the rush. Yeah. Like you said, back to work. So the, the captain probably wouldn't even look at you. Be like, I just got, I got a really bad injury here. And he doesn't even look. He's like, you'll be fine. Back to work. <laughs> That's that. That's it. So you would, you, I'm sorry, you were fishing. You were doing this out of block. You would, you were living here and going out of block Island or living in Narragansett and coming out of Point Judith. Where, in, where'd you grow up? Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. Got that. And so then you, would you come to block Island and offload the lobsters here, sell them here? Or you just. Actually the lobsters were sold. In Point Judith, JL Shellfish, which is the big place when you come off the boat. Still we, there. Still there, but it's not JL, it's somebody else. There's always local lobstermen sold their lobsters fresh every day at this spot. Yeah. Wow. A lot of truckloads of lobsters get shipped out of Point Judith still, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But so, I think the picking's a little slimmer than it used to be, would you think? Very so, yeah. Yeah, and there have been a few cases of seasons with a lot of shell rot, is that what it's called? Correct. Bo Gemp uh, told me this. This was about four or five years ago, and that was like they were changing because the shell was starting to decay. So they had some kind of disease. So it limited people to, to get how many lobsters they could actually keep. Mm. Yeah. Did you ever? Uh, you must have. I mean, pulled up a, one of the blue lobsters. I have. We have done that one time. We just had, one. Well, just one. It's the only one I've ever seen. How did it taste? Well, <laughs> it, was, it was it was rather big. It was rather big. Really? And wow. I don't understand. They always say the smaller, the sweeter the meat. But this one sold at a big price. And I oh, remember yeah. somebody photographing it. So it might be on the wall in one of the fish markets. I wouldn't know today. Oh, but it mounted. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's something where they could extract the meat and save the shell because it's a, like getting an albino something. Yeah. You know? yeah. Isn't there also an albino lobster, too? There are. Yeah. yeah. Even more rare than the blue ones. I they are, yeah. and they are the oldest of all, you know, and these wow. are like the breeders that are in a deep, deep water. Wow. Yeah, we. I remember one time a story of a bunch of people got together to raise money to, to free a lobster because it was a big one. They figured out it was like 40 years old, and, you know, and the question, it, there it goes off in the water, and they come back, and somebody's like, you did take those rubber bands off, right? Oh, no. <laughs> They're like, uh... <laughs> We released them with handcuffs. You know, yeah, yeah. You know. I imagine the albinos have a hard time making it because they don't camouflage very well. You know, It's amazing that they can even get into the pot because they have to go through the funnel, and from the funnel it goes into what they call the room, and that is the section where he gets trapped because that's where the bait's hanging. Right. They right. can back in, but they can't back out. Ah. And if you've ever wondered what that strange smell is when you're having breakfast on the deck downtown, uh, if the wind is blowing just the right way, that would be lobster bait. It's pretty pretty gross. What do you, what do you use to bait the traps with? We were using uh, skate, hake, whitefish. After it had been salted for over a week in, yeah, a in, metal, the sun. in the sun with the lid on, wow. yeah. and you would open it up at four in the morning, and the ammonia that came out would knock you over. And, wow. It's and, a strong... And if you didn't have the stomach for it, you wouldn't be able to get on the deck. But You, we, you could always tell when a lobster baiter like, joined the, the restaurant briefly to pick up a sandwich or something. You'd be like, oh my God. Because <laughs> you know, no matter what you try to do, it's wafting. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like... Even if you have your oil skins on, take them all off, you just can't. It, the smell is just permeating. That's a good word for it, wouldn't you? I agree. Yeah. You know. So when did you actually end up coming to Block Island then? Well, after being on the 
lobster boats, I got interested in um, the Quonset and the Manitou. Oh, yeah. And these were guys I knew who worked on these boats, and they said there was, the summers were fun. The ferries, the original. Ferries. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, so I decided to just sign up, and when you did sign up, you had to go get what we call the a Z card, which was uh, a merchant marine card. I think Joe Houlihan mentioned that. He yep. had to get the card to right. get on the Quonset. So you went down to the federal building in Providence, and you got sworn in in the same room where all the soldiers were getting sworn in during Vietnam and all the other places. You took that oath. They took your fingerprints. They checked your records. And then they mailed you this card with your photograph and your thumbprint on it. I was an ordinary seaman wiper. Wow. And were you talking to some of the other guys, the, the people, soldiers getting sworn in, and they're like, uh, they're like, where are you going? And they're like, I'm going to go to the front lines, going to the DMZ. And you're, they're like, where are you going? And you're like, oh, I'm going to be uh, on the uh, in, station in <laughs> Narragansett. Yeah, I'm going yeah. to Block Island. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, it was interesting. Everybody in there, except the officer, was in a complete uniform. So it was very official. Wow. So nobody really knew where we were going. And I, we didn't really speak about it. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I, to me, no, because at the time, you know, you got you were in college or whatever you were, were doing. You either went to war or you didn't. Yeah. And um, I did my my stint. What I did with the merchant marines, not only on the ferry boats, but I worked on tugs and dredges. Uh, actually, dredged this harbor really? at, at one time. Yeah. With. See, I've known this guy for a while. I never knew anything about this nautical history of his working on the seas. So you were my great my uh, grandfather was worked on a dredge. I think they might have built not this bre- this break wall, but one of the break walls here in Rhode Island, like maybe over in Point Judith. Right. And they would dredge and build and build and fix the break walls the old school way, you know, back in the day. Working on the ferry sounds like it'd be a lot more a lot less uh labor intensive than working on a lobster boat. Well, in those days, no. Everything was hand trucked. There was no forklifts. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. That's what Hulahan uh, said. Yeah. Propane came in a tall can. You put three at a time on a hand truck and wheeled it off the stern and onto the dock. Wow. Um, sometimes up to two to 300 of those tanks. So that's four guys doing it um, all afternoon. Oh, you must have been in great shape. Everybody was in great shape. It was unbelievable. Some of the guys were rugby players, and they would tell stories about, oh, these tanks aren't so bad. We used to go out and pick up sheep and throw them on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) That's practice. That's what they do in rugby practice. I believe that's what they were doing. I was hoping that was a true story. Oh, man. So that's pretty wild, too. Like, So at a point, they let the propane on the ferry with passengers. Like, now it has to be on a charter, separate boat. That's correct, yes. Wow. I wonder when they changed that rule. Well, it was a kind of a drag because we had to wait till all the cars, all the freight, and the people were off the dock, and then we started hand trucking the tanks off. Oh, and then from that point, the gas company would come and pick up their own tanks. And when you talk in the stern of the Quonset, it's a long haul from the entry door, which is about, yeah. about two thirds of the way to the bow. That's correct, and it's on a it's on an angle. Oh yeah, and so it's about a forty degree pitch. Do you ever lose any in the water? Uh, no, no, but, but uh, we, we have had guys 
bump on the dock where they would lose them and they would roll. And once I remember a cap snapping and the thing shot down the dock. <laughs> and luckily oh, from was, the pressure being yeah, released. And we were like going, we're going to go. testing torpedoes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> luckily it bounced off a pipe and just did this circular motion until it ran out. And uh, whoa. Yeah. So that's like, remember those little rockets, the water rockets yeah, you could yeah. pump up pump with water up, and yeah. Pew, right. Yeah. yeah. Except wow. they didn't explode. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So then you, now at that point, you're still living in Narragansett, but you were frequenting Block Island via the ferry. Correct. And then, well, when did you decide to stay here? Well, one afternoon I was working on the boat and things were getting bad because I had already done three winters on the Manitou. That was pretty tough. Oh. Um, you know, so I met this guy named Lou Gaffett. Ah. Uh, and he had a company called Island Trucking. And... Um, I approached him about a job, and he goes, well, we just, that's not all we do. We build houses. I go, sounds good. Uh, I'd be interested in the job. If you can find a place, I've got a job for you. And then, all of a sudden, my good old school buddy friend, Norris Pike, offered me the living room couch. Hey, that's a start. For one year. So, (laughs) Freddie and Norris and I. All lived in the one house, which is the Dewey, which was called the Driftwood in my day. The Dewey Cottage. Yes. Okay. And this is and 1971. Freddie, Freddie who? Uh, Norris's brother. Oh, okay. Pike. Yep. Freddie Pike. Gotcha. And uh, so I stayed there for a year. And Did you met- have to sign a lease for the couch? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. It was pretty, everybody worked pretty hard. So by the yeah. end of the day, Norris would do the cooking and we'd all sit down and eat. And then if we were lucky, Hopefully, Gilly or Albion wouldn't stop over. Yep. And that would be quite an occurrence if they did. So we turned the lights down and locked the doors. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Al- Albion Sleet. You're talking Correct. about. Yeah, yes. yeah. It was uh, Norris's uncle. Yes. What, now, why? Because they were looking to come over and hang out and have some drinks or something and get crazy? The Thursday night club or the Friday night club oh, instead of the Monday night club. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. They were way ahead of us. <laughs> were you? Was the Monday night club still a thing back then? I can recall that. I moved out of that place to moved in with Dave Schaller and his wife Sue over at Hoppy's, which is that square building across from the Baby Beach. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Became Boatworks, same one that became Boatworks for a while. Now it's a private residence, I think. Right. Right next door is a new shop, My Oyster. Okay. Right. Yeah. So Lou would have the Monday Night Club in different places. Um, <laughs> one was where the Seacrest is now, but that was at one time the bowling alley. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one room in there, and if you could fit in with your jacket on, Alan McKay would probably be in there serving you drinks with nobody else except Black Islanders. Yeah, he's um, he's in my list of notes. I think he'd make a good guest on our podcast. I bet he's got some great stuff. I love Alan. Yeah. He's great dude. Yeah. But yeah. he's mellow. Like He, Very he slides mellow. through as, you know. Uh, he's one of the uh, Block Island Silver Foxes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know this? No. He's like, <laughs> this dude's got, you know, he's gray hair and everything but he's uh he's a uh, like one of like the most interesting man in the world kind of vibe you know just very you know you know he's got a, yeah yeah this vibe you can tell yeah you know? i tried to take him down one time really how'd yeah, that work out it, i hurt my head really bad when he flipped <laughs> me over onto a table <laughs> i guess the chefs don't have the same strength as the carpenters <laughs> yeah know? yeah that was the beer talking yeah you know it'll happen up. we all make mistakes mm-hmm. sorry alan that was a mistake well. <laughs> but i paid the price yeah <laughs> so these are the guys you used to hang out with here 
Sure enough, most of them, yeah, they, everybody kind of came and went, but some yeah. never really left. What'd you guys do for kicks? We were always working. Pouring cement, trucking. Everything had to be put in a truck and taken somewhere to the job. Nobody came over on any boat with a load of lumber right? or, this or is, a bunch of windows, yeah. uh, tile, bricks. You, it came over on the boat, but you, the whole thing had to be loaded by hand and yeah. we finally we got one forklift and it, that was really something when we had that revolutionary <laughs> i mean but to unload 200 300 bags of cement by hand off holy of a, cow and put it on the back of a truck and then drive down the road and do the same thing again that was my uncle's summer job i don't know if i've ever said that but my uncle worked with uh rick bachelor when they were teenagers and I think it was for Earl Smith had a trucking business too, right? Were they, was it Lou and Earl with the two trucking main? Absolutely. They were the trucking mafia, Block Island? Right. <laughs> when, when things got bad, we went up and got Nat, and, and we, we'd get him and, and bring him down, and Earl would need Rick to do that, and, and I needed Nat to show me where all these places were because this is my first time <laughs> on the island. I, I thought it all ended at smiling through, yeah. but it goes on, and Nat was my navigator, so... I was always able to drive up to school, go to the principal's office, drag Nat out of school. I was going to, how old was Nat at this point? He couldn't have been, I don't know, 14, six, 15? Yeah, eighth grade, maybe seventh grade. <laughs> but he knew the island like the back of his hand. And Nat Gaffick, can you please come to the principal's office? Pat's lost again. <laughs> I actually drove the truck with all the bricks and lumber and cement right up to the front door of the school and, and, and hoped the brakes stayed on and actually put a chalk behind the wheel and went in and got him. Wow. Oh, well, that was it. Yeah. Everything was moved by hand. I mean, it was, uh, you know, of course the volume was, you know, like today, could you imagine if everything coming over today had to come over, you know, hand trucked on the boat? It's crazy. I mean, you know, we've grown so much. It's just, I can't even imagine. And were you just building houses back then or did you build any of the, you know, any, any, uh, structures that you were involved in of, of any note around here historically? Well, we, it was an acorn building company and they were prefabbed houses oh. and they were placed all around the island like the burgers correct yes okay so they all came in pieces uh one of the things i did get to do and learn was to work with albion slate and build chimneys from the basement up to the roof wow. which was quite an art and he was an artist yeah um the guy had talent beyond but after two or three o'clock he became a different guy so uh, <laughs> who doesn't <laughs> he would say to me we have to go see Brainerd because I need to meet I have to find another soldier which was code for the four roses which is his favorite beverage oh <laughs> <laughs> I have to find another soldier well that was he I heard a story about a guy once maybe it wasn't him but they they would they would build the chimney and then you know the homeowner you know re request payment from the homeowner and the homeowner would give him a hard time and say, well, you know, I tried to light a fire in there and the smoke didn't even go up and out. And he goes, well, as soon as you pay me, we'll take care of that. And he would pay him and he'd go up on the roof and they would, they would purposely put a plate of glass about halfway up in the cement and the brick would break the glass and then it was good to go. No, but they would kind of put a booby trap in there to make sure they got paid. And then they would just go on the roof, drop the rock down the chimney and ready to go. You're kidding. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Did Albion do that sometimes? Yes, he did. <laughs> Is that where I heard the story? Sitting there having a drink with the owner and discussing it. And the guy tried to light the fire and the house filled up with smoke. And he goes, gee, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> wow. It's pretty funny. That's genius. That was sly. But some people would hold out. 
And yeah. these guys were Islanders. And to me, you didn't want to double cross them. They did yeah. good work. They deserved to be paid. Yeah. And the, the trick was to be learned. And people would say, okay, the next time I'm going to pay this guy on the on the quarter basis <laughs> instead yeah, of waiting until yeah. the end of the job and my house fills up with smoke when I'm having a party <laughs> in the middle of the winter. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. Oh, man. I'll get it working. I'll be right back. That's, yeah. I think that's what they mean by Yankee ingenuity. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's swamp Yankees. Yep. Yep. Oh, my God. So finally, though, you got off of uh, the couch at, uh, um, at Norris Norris's place. Yeah. And uh, where'd you go after the couch? You got your own uh, rent a place for a while? Well, or? The second floor, there was an apartment at. The house I just described to you is what we used to call Hoppies. Okay, that's yep, the yep. guy who lived there. And I met Dave Schaller and uh, his wife, Sue, she, who was pregnant. And um, they decided they could take on a border. So I took the second floor. Oh, nice. Which was perfect because from that view, I could see the dock. And I knew when the boat would be in and when I had to be down there. Because depending on the weather... You're yeah. lucky if there was one boat a week sometimes. Yeah, and it uh, would things you know. weren't really but I had to manage that thing of being there for the the trucking company just in case something did come in. And was this at the same piece of property that the Shallers are at now? Their place uh No, this is the one that we just talked about. Oh, used I'm to sorry, be the used okay. to be the boat works. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. The Gazners had it. Yep. And then the last two years it's been completely gutted and renovated. Yeah. And they removed all the asbestos sidings, if you remember that. Yeah. The hazmat yeah, yeah, crew, everybody thought it was somebody from another planet with yeah. the orange suits. Yeah. Removing the siding <laughs> from the house that 10 different generations had probably slept in and breathed yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. Hey, what's a little what's a little uh, asbestos amongst friends? Yeah. Well, you yeah. can go over it, I think, legally. Yes. Well, you can cover it or you, you can. can remove it. Yeah. You know. Once it's broken, though, that's the problem. Yeah. It puts out yeah. a vapor. Yep. Um, and it could be in a windowsill or it could be somewhere in, in a part of the house where the wind comes up from the bottom. And... Yep. Yeah, you don't want that. Yeah. Hmm. When did you... Do you have a house or out here now or how did you... Well, I from this point on, I was still looking for lodging. Um, I got engaged to a gal and... Um, we had a, a little girl named Emma. We moved into Ma Hutchison's basement and virtually lived there for, I, I can't remember, maybe six, seven years. I know that apartment. Yeah. Yeah. We burned uh, peat. We burned driftwood from the beach, coal. Wow. So we stayed warm. Year round? Year round. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. You know the building. The Avon, now it's the Avonlea, right? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. And I lived in the basement. There's an wow. apartment down below. Yeah. It was like, you know, just a door and a window, and then you went in there. But, but I mean, holy cow, walk out your door, and there's the ocean. Yeah. Right? I mean, pretty sweet basement digs if you got to live in a basement, I guess. Well, absolutely. And I don't know if a lot of people know this. That house is pretty old. It's a stone foundation, and the foundation boulders are as big as a Volkswagen, wow. and they're all facing the ocean on the basement floor. And that's what the house is all sitting on, except maybe what they've put in as new additions. That could be a change. Wow. Hmm. That's yeah. crazy. And then, so it's all right, just cause we're on the topic of living stuff. So this recently, I want to give too much away. Maybe we don't want to talk about it, but you just scored. Uh, so Pat's a seasonal, uh, you know, he st still does as many people do the seasonal, you know, yeah. where, where am I going to stay in the summer? Where do I stay in the winter? But you just moved back into a cottage for the second time on Block Island, right? That's correct. So it's a little cottage, and uh, you lived there a long time ago. 
46 years ago. So 46 years later, moving back into the same same digs. Wow. Has it changed much? Yes, it has. <laughs> it has <laughs> considerably. The, um, it was just bare walls, bare rafters. The, the place had been pretty much cleaned out. I think the last person to live there was Tiny's sister, perhaps. I think I got this right. It was his dad and then his sister. And uh, so it was pretty primitive where we had a hand pump. We had a light bulb, two light bulbs, a refrigerator and a phone and a wood stove. This is what I brought my bride home to. Wow. <laughs> Just before we had our child. We almost had the, my daughter at the house, but the fog lifted. Uh, Andy Transu called us up and said, get your ass up here. You're, you're flying to Westerly and having your baby. And, nice. And that's how it happened. Wow. So wow. We came back and spent our summer, well, end of part of the fall. Helped Tiny put real plumbing in the place, except for the outhouse. But uh, things have changed now. There is inside plumbing. Yep, yep, uh, yeah. Good, good heat. Um, and it's structurally kind of in a balance of being refurbished with windows yeah. and roofs. So that's my project for the summer is to uh, work on that house. Let me ask you, the first time you lived in this this is uh, the first time you lived in the place you live now. Was the internet faster back then? <laughs> Boy, we, we were lucky to have that phone. <laughs> Sometimes. And, and back then, you didn't have to dial 466. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I, I, remember, I remember those days, yeah. just the four numbers. And there was no speed dials. No, um, no. It's mostly like, Tiny, one of the cows got out. What do I do? Yeah. <laughs> I remember when they started, you had to dial 466, and people were just up in arms. They're like, I got to dial three extra numbers? You know? <laughs> I'm like, it's not that hard. And if you didn't, there was an operator that said you've dialed incorrectly. And it wasn't a recording. It might even have been Edie Blaine. Who yep. knows? <laughs> 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 what about all the numbers I remembered? Well, they're all the same, except you're adding a 466. Oh, I get it. You know? <laughs> Uh, well it was interesting also that on block island you didn't have to have your photograph on your driver's license and if you did need a driver's license you could go to fred benson's office which is next to where the bagel shop is now yep sit there and take the test and he would even help you sometimes I, if he saw you doing <laughs> something how many feet do you put on before you put on your signal before you come to the turn i didn't know 300 feet? Yes. And would write it down. And then you'd get your license. And when you went to the mainland, they would say, let me use some ID. They would say, where's your photograph? Valid without photo. I said, look closely right in the middle. Valid yeah. without photo. So, I had the same one. That's where I got my license from. Really? Yeah, because I was on Block Island when I got turned 16. And so that I was here. So I just got my driver's license here from Fred. Man. And he's right. You'd you'd take the multiple choice part and you'd be like, you'd hold the pencil up and you'd start to head for the A and he'd be like, <clears throat> and he'd be like, you slide over to the B and he'd be like, uh-huh. Uh. <laughs> and I think he just, you took him for a cup of coffee or something. He made me just, you got in the car and you went for, to for, get his mail at the post office or something. He'd get out and get his mail and get back in and then you'd go all back. All right, and, that's it. Did it. So nobody ever really failed unless maybe a smacked you, into something. Yeah, it was a pretty, yeah. probably the most unique remote DMV uh, satellite <laughs> office I've ever seen in my life, you know? Exactly. And right next to the test was the booklet you were supposed to study the night before. So you'd be flipping through it really madly going like, okay, 
I got it. Yep. <laughs> God, I <laughs> wish I, the, I wish there was still a DMV like that these days. Uh, the only flaw that happened with me was a couple of weeks went by, and I finally went in there, and I was like, um, Mr. Benson, um, who, by the way, for listeners, in case you don't know, that's who our town beach is named right. after. And uh, I said, you know, I, I came in, I took the test, we did everything, but I still haven't got my license. He goes, oh, what's right here in my drawer? <laughs> it had come to him, and I didn't know I had to go pick it up from him. <laughs> you know, they just didn't put the license in the mail in those days. Yeah. Just anybody. Well, you know? who cares? I mean, they figured they'd bump into you sooner or later. I guess so. You know? But imagine being 16. You're just dying to have that. Oh, thing. yeah, just to get that license in your hand. Yeah. Yeah. I've been waiting three weeks, praying I don't get pulled over with no license. You know, I'm driving the car. So. so what were some of the other things about Block Island back in the day that are just like so drastically different than they are now? Well, Island's people were not doing well. There wasn't a whole lot of money. I, I remember it was the Reagan years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was 21 or 22. It was the first time I'd ever been on unemployment in my life. Um, my daughter, my my wife, we were getting... $75 a month. Um, so people started reaching out. There were guys who were cod fishing, uh, who would sell their codfish just to block islanders. If you went down to the dock when they came in to help you out. Hunting was a big thing, especially for myself. I loved duck hunting, pheasant hunting, and I could get as many as I wanted, clean them, keep them in the freezer. This is in the 80s. This is in the 70s. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, we're, the winters were much harsher. The harbors used to freeze. Um, yeah, it, it was kind of it was tough. You you worked hard, and if, if you didn't have a job, you kind of had to live off the land. Yeah. So and, truly, you were you'd hunt your own food, fish your own food. Yeah, you'd, you'd get enough bluefish in the fall or or bass. You know, dress them out, get them in the freezer, start stocking up at that time. You know, looking forward to you know what might not be when the boat doesn't come. Yeah. Um, getting milk from a farmer, getting beef from a farmer. These were, these were all available. You know, I, at one time I did take part in some butchering uh, with Tiny Sprague. Uh, got some meat from it. But in general, people helped each other out too. Oh, they right? certainly did. Yeah. From keeping, giving you a ride to make sure you got what you needed. Uh, the doctor's office was not anywhere near as efficient as it is now. And we we went through doctors like you wouldn't believe. Oh, I had a few experiences yeah. as a youth. I mean, even myself, when I knew Betsy was pregnant, we wanted to be sure, so we went up to see the doctor. And while the doctor was like leaning over, I remember his pipe flipping out of his yeah. mouth <laughs> and landing on the table next to her. And uh, he goes, yep, she's pregnant. Fifty dollars. See you later. (laughs) We had a great story from Vin McAloon about the birth of his daughter, and uh, he actually ended up delivering his own daughter uh, because he went up to the medical center, and the the doctor said, uh, "Well, you got yourself into this mess. You can get yourself out of it." And he sat back, lit up a cigarette, and (laughs) and talked Vin through birthing his daughter. But like, you know, smoking a cigarette in the... I got stitches from a doctor with a cigarette in his mouth. Really? Up there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I missed the... I, I never missed told the... that story. Did I tell that story? I don't think so. Yeah. Got hit with a lawnmower blade. Ooh. Yeah, in the leg. Um, You know, and it was a... It was kind of a 50-50 whether you try to get somebody on the phone to come and get you. So they just threw me in the car and drove me up to the... And it was an office and not even a medical center. It was just the in the house. It was right. the front room in Where the house. Where was this? 
The house that's currently where the doctor resides. Oh, okay. So there was, was no other building there. It was just that house. Yeah. The doctor lived there, and the downstairs in the front room was an office. Uh, I mean, a, a you know, a, a examination room. Yeah. And I think maybe in the other side there might have been a dentist chair, just in case. But it was that was it, pretty much. It was actually the dentist was up at the high school. Oh, okay. I had to go up there because <laughs> I had an accident one time and I'd knocked a tooth out of my mouth. How'd you do that? <laughs> um, working, freezing cold. Uh, trying to nail under a soffit, hammer mist, hit my tooth. There you go. Holy <laughs> cow, look at that. <laughs> you knocked your own tooth out with a hammer. That's a good one. I like it. I like it. I was not on the mower with the mower blade that hit me. It was my grandfather. He hit a rock. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those will get you. Yeah. Man. It, it broke the blade and it boomeranged across the lawn and took out my, took a big chunk out of my leg. You. So yeah. you, you're talking about, uh, you know, a, a, sty- a lifestyle that sounds pretty, pretty hard by all, you know, accounts. But I don't know. It sounds a little, are you, you seem you know, a little nostalgic about it as well, somehow. Well, what brought us, it brought us close together for, the, for those who had nothing or hardly anything at all. We would hand down clothes and food, you know, if we could share it with them. But the great thing was, Everybody played a musical instrument or was involved in it. Myself, the guitar, and I like to sing. You'd find yourself with a living room full of friends for hours, uh, you know, on what we would call a shore day. And it would bring everybody together. And it would be something to talk about on the job the following week going, hey, remember when we played that song? What were those chords you played? Yeah. And those memories of remembering that, the same guys would come back later, or maybe play at a wedding that we might have at one of the bars in the middle of the winter. But everything was available to you to be a part of. You were, everybody was invited. Nobody was not invited. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. Who were some of the other, can you remember some of the other guys that played instruments? John Tripler was one. Oh, yeah. John yeah. Cadwalder. Rocket played the mandolin. Oh, yeah. He just passed away not too long ago. I have his picture on my refrigerator. Yep. He used to come in and play with this band called Buck and Wing, and they would play bluegrass. Yeah. yeah. And they used you, to go see him at the beachhead. So you'd see Rocket, and you wonder, is he going to tip over? Is he gonna, <laughs> or is he going to fall over? Next thing you know, he's doing the solo so perfectly, yeah. you're almost crying. Yeah. And the guy had so much talent, not only in playing an instrument, but art. Some of his paintings were just incredible. Yeah. I think one hangs at uh, the Old Island Pub or yeah. you? Next door, uh, I think there was one upstairs a while ago. Oh, God, who had it? Was it Kelly Walsh? Or, I don't remember. Is it a big giant one? Yeah, like, that one. I think that was in my restaurant at one point. Was it? Maybe. Is it Giant Ocean with yes. a ship? Yep. That's yeah. the dragger. Yeah, the that's, dragger. That's a dragger. Really? It's called an Eastern Rig or a dragger. You know the painting. Just, I think it's just painted on plywood. Yeah, it it's is. It's possible, right? It is, just yeah, on yeah. wood yeah, for sure. I had that in the wall and when I had my restaurant. Oh, cool. Well, we gave all the stuff, you know, that's cool. passed it on to other places. Yep. to. Because I think that was in the... All right, I could be wrong with this. Maybe I shouldn't tell this Whatever, story. Whatever, nothing, ma- you know. We I think it was... A, well, let's just say I think there was a lack of payment... Uh, for a certain amount of work provided for a certain hotel out here. Okay. And uh, the decision was made to just confiscate that painting in lieu of payment. Right. Off the wall. Right. It wasn't <laughs> given to you in lieu of payment. It was, it was confiscated. The decision, it was acquired the, the in lieu of payment. The debt was settled yeah. without with both a, parties making that decision. Necessarily being, yeah, <laughs> yeah. gotcha, right. heard. Yeah. So, uh, you know, off it, <laughs> off it went. Hey, man, you got to get, you got to get, your got to get paid. Yeah, but I'm gotta not going to name the place, the national, and I'm not going <laughs> to. 
<laughs> not under the current management. Right, so I'm not, right, right. you know, I don't even remember who was, you know, yeah. at the time, you know. Bartering is a well-known thing here on Block Island. Yeah. Um, the Old Town Inn and that section down there, that was the, that was the central of uh, Block Island. And if you needed anything, you needed buttons, you needed salt, you needed salt pork, you could go down there and you could trade something with the store owner if you didn't have the coin. And he would swap that out even for work. So the Old Town Inn was a store at one point? Like that, a that, general store kind of thing? That that, and also where um, Arnie Flagg's... Um, oh, right places, across the street. Yeah, that was Earl Smith's old house. That also was part, I believe, of the, huh. of the Old Town. So that's why it's called Old Town Road. Oh. And Old Town Inn. There you go. And they, like, I think two years ago, they finally... Um, opened up the Easter egg of that little garage across the street and they found that carriage in there, right? Did you see that carriage? Oh, yeah. What, that thing was from, I don't even know what era that was from. I think that was from was, the 1800s. That was for funerals. It was, I, funeral. it was a funeral carriage. It had been in there all this time. It was in really good shape. Uh, an 1800s horse-drawn funeral carriage. Whoa. And this was right across. So you know where the at the end of Old Town Road, there's those big, the old millstones. The millstones. Still there, yeah. So just around the corner, there's there was two little buildings, and yeah. one of them is torn down now, but it was in there. And no I think kidding. it got taken off on the ferry to a museum, right? Uh, it did. It, it lived in different people's garages, and it was deteriorating more and more. But when you realize that something like that, which was probably used quite a lot on Block Island, horse-drawn, yeah. uh, was history getting lost. And at that time, we really probably didn't have it together for those historical society to deal with something that large so i'm hoping what you just said is true now you do uh you are you involved with the historical society i do restoration on their windows okay these windows are put together with pegs you can't use nails you can't use glue it's all historically correct wow so i'm fitting for the building exactly oh very nice right so i would take them out take them to my studio in the winter Take out the old glass, try to save it because the old glass is a wavy glass where you look through yeah. it. And, old lead glass? Well, right. I don't know if it was lead, whatever. They probably used lead, and, okay. and, but it had a waviness to it because they hadn't procured the, the clearness. But that's the ancient thing about that glass was it was all handmade. It wasn't something that factories came out whatever the technique was these were very important they would heat it up and pour it onto sheets and let it cool i wouldn't yeah i don't know really what the what the process was but my thing was to try to reassemble the window and replace all of the glass and i think that there's maybe eight in each sash so it would take quite a while to wow. burn out the old uh glazing which was deadly and you have to wear a mask and all that to do it. Oh, but nah, don't listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> but then to clean them all up, sand them down, put them back on the window and be able to lift them with two fingers, I would go in there with a hammer and a chisel because some clown had probably caulked them in yeah. or painted them in. And nobody said, she will never have to open these. Well, till they got air conditioning, believe me, they needed to. Oh, yeah. yeah. So on the second floor, you'll see a bunch of windows there. Those are some of the projects I worked on. So you're a fairly skilled woodworker, carpenter at this point. In some ways, yeah. I went, you know, when I went to school and all that, I learned a lot about making furniture, huh. um, you know, really nice furniture. And um, but those things don't really last because there's a lot of jobs. High school really don't know which way you're going, you yeah. know, for that. And I wanted out so bad. And I wanted, out of high school? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to be on some kind of boat somewhere. Well, I can understand you were 26. 
But I got my wish. I got to come to Block Island and, and find a home and raise a family. And, uh, That's and, awesome. and, and I left and I came back. And this is my home now. Yeah. Well, speaking of leaving and coming back, um, we're going to do just that right now as we take a little break uh, and uh, check in with our sponsors. Be right back. Captain Nick's Rock and Roll Bar is Block Island's premier night spot and live music venue, bringing only the best in summertime entertainment since 1976. If you're looking for good times, friendly people, and zero attitude, stop by and check us out right across from the grocery store. Monday nights are still groovy, so dress in your 70s best for disco night. Then get ready to sing along on Tuesdays and Wednesdays with Neil Haven's Dueling Pianos. Friday and Saturday nights, Captain Nick's features the best cover party and tribute bands in New England. And don't miss the legendary Captain Nick's Sunday Fun Day with Young Guns from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. Captain Nick's is proud to feature its new food menu seven days a week from 4.30 to close, which means late night grub until 12.30 a.m., seven days a week. Captain Nick's is proud to feature its new food menu seven days a week from 4.30 to close, which means late night grub until 12.30 a.m., seven days a week. Lunch served Thursday through Sunday at noon. And if you're looking for the island's best mudslide, Nick's is also the spot for afternoon fun when you come off the beach with great acoustic entertainment outside on the deck. Captain Nick's Rock and Roll Bar, 34 Ocean Avenue, right across from the Block Island Grocery. Visit CaptainNicksBI.com. Hey, Mark, who are you most excited to see this summer at Captain Nick's? I always love the Blushing Brides, the Rolling Stones tribute band. You almost feel like you're looking at the real Mick Jagger. Whether you're experienced or a beginner, fishing on Block Island is one of the greatest experiences you can have. Our friends at BI Fishworks are there to make sure it's amazing. Block Island Fishworks offers charter trips for whatever you're after. Striped bass, bluefish, fluke, sea bass, bonita, you name it, they know how to catch it. If you're into light tackle and fly fishing, Captain Chris does morning charters of up to three people. If your group's a little larger, climb aboard the Harley with Captain Hank. The Harley does half and full day trips for up to six people. If boats aren't your thing, there's still plenty of great spots to fish from shore. BI Fishworks has everything you need. A great selection of equipment, tackle, and plenty of tips and pointers on when and where to go and what the fish are biting. The shop, located at 40 Ocean Avenue, is open daily and season. While you're there, check out the great shirts, hats, hoodies, and a bunch of other cool swag. To book a charter, get info on the shop, check out their merch and all things fishing, visit their website, bifishworks.com. You know, Mark, I love fishing with those guys. You ever been out with them? Oh, my God. A number of times, actually. And you know what? Every single time, we've caught fish. It's worth the trip just to spend a half a day with Hank. Hank is a force of nature, as we know. Yeah, he's great. And you know what? A lot of times your fishing trip can include a buzz by or even a quick tour of the of the wind farm, which is pretty awesome. And you know what? The the, the greatest thing about Fishworks is that they have everything you need. Every everything. Whether it's your first time on the island or you're a seasoned veteran, next time you're booking a vacation, before you do, check out the Neptune House Resort. It's really an amazing place to stay. Their 23 modern condo-style units have full kitchens outfitted with everything, including full-size refrigerators. The Neptune House Resort offers studios, one-bedrooms, and two-bedrooms units available April through October. And let me tell you, the shoulder seasons are a great time to come out to Block Island. The views are spectacular, and the property has so many amenities to offer. There's a heated pool, tennis courts, gas grills, a picnic tables. There's even a game room with a pool table. Sammy and the rest of the staff are there for you if you need anything. We all know location is key, and that's another reason to make the Neptune House your next Block Island stay. It's tucked away from the hustle bustle, but it's just a short walk to Old Harbor ferries, restaurants, shops, beaches, and live entertainment. After a day at the beach and exploring the island, what could be better than a dip in the pool and sitting on the deck watching the Block Island sunset? 
Check out the views and all that the Neptune House has to offer online at NeptuneHouse.com. You know, my family came out to visit once and stayed at the Neptune House, and they couldn't say enough nice things about it. You know, it's kind of got everything you need, and the views from those upper decks are spectacular. And oh my God, heated it's pool. so nice. Heated pool. You had me at heated. Yeah, I'm there. Let's get our <laughs> bathing suits on now. If you're on island, pay a visit to Diamond Blue Surf Shop, located right at Bridgegate Square, a.k.a. the four-way. Don't let the name fool you. While Diamond Blue specializes in surfing, they have so much more to offer. Diamond Blue features an amazing line of clothing, hats, swimsuits, shades, footwear, bracelets, and lots of accessories. Diamond Blue rents surfboards, paddleboards, wetsuits, and boogie boards at the shop. They've also got kayaks and beach chair rentals down at the beach. Talk about convenient. Diamond Blue has experienced surfing instructors on call for lessons all summer. Your surf lessons include a surfboard and wetsuit. It's a great way for the kids or anyone to safely learn how to catch their first sweet wave. Diamond Blue will have you hanging 10 in no time. So stop in and visit Jen and the gang at Diamond Blue Surf Shop. For all info on rentals, surf lessons, or to shop online, visit DiamondBlueBI.com. You know what I love about Diamond Blue? They have the best apparel. For example, this past October, I was here in the fall, and I was freezing, and I got the coolest surf jacket there. Oh, yeah. Hoodies, hats. They, you, you can Christmas shop there. I mean, you should. They do the Christmas stroll usually, yeah. and uh, you can order online. Say totally. you left the island. You're like, I wish I bought that for my son for Christmas. They've you know? got such cool stuff there. Very cool. And Jen and her staff are the nicest. Jen is so chill. All right. Well, thanks to those sponsors, and uh, we're back here to pick up our conversation with Pat, and um, I don't want to run out of time before we get to talk about uh, a pastime that has been shared with me from Pat, and he loves uh, the history of the Native Americans and the tools and the points. Points, is that the proper word? That is correct. A lot of people say arrowheads, but it's... Points. It's points. So uh, what, what can you tell us a little bit about what you know about the history of, of and what is the proper term, Native Americans or indigenous people? Any of those is Aboriginal, good? In, indigenous, um, the natives. Okay. I, I refer to them as Native Americans or the natives. Yeah. They were the first ones here, probably what we could think of as far back as 9,000 years ago. On Block Island. On Block Island. 9,000 years ago. Right. That's a long time. Well, you, there was still a, an ice bridge from the mainland to Block Island. Um, Montauk was only probably a mile away. The water had not fully melted from the Ice Age, so there was a lot of you know areas that were still open and hadn't been filled with water. These tribes came over here, knew all about fishing, hunting. They survived right off the land, built their wigwams out of the massive forests that were here at one time. If you can imagine, Verrazano said that he was sailing around the island and couldn't believe the size of the forests from one end of the island to the other. Wow. Wow, it's hard to picture. I've seen a computer-generated picture of what it would have looked like. Yeah. And it's pretty wild oh. like to just see, you know, the forest. Because you never see, you know, now no, you and just never. You're lucky if you see a couple of big trees here and there out here. And not to go too far down this road, but when did the island get clear cut? Because all of a lot of the old photos, when farms, when farming became a thing here, within 100 years of inhabitants of the white man, there was not a standing tree. Yeah, except for maybe some big old chestnuts and elms that a lot of the farmers preferred to leave on their land to keep their livestock and their horses. Yeah, um, you know the facility. Everybody depended on it and. 
As you see, in the old days, everybody was horse and buggy, and they all had to be kept someplace and kept cool. Where, where did the uh, where did the Native Americans? Where were they? You know, their main. Did they have certain main camps? Like, did they hang out at Ballard's or like you know? Uh, they had winter and summer camps. Um, you know, they loved to be around uh, Brush Pond. That was one of their places because it's the water. Yep. Yep. In and, the winter. In the winter. The winter was fresh pond. Right. And you get in and down in a, a little bit in a hollow in there. A hollow. Yeah. yeah. They like to have their backs to the southwest. They they believe that a lot of great things came from that direction. Their lives, their souls, their people. So this was a plan that they would have, and they would know when to move, when to disassemble. The houses were made of bark. There was no teepees. These were wigwams. Teepees would be out west, anything east, west of the Ohio. The inhabitants lived in these kind of buildings that they, they made by bending over cedar and wrapping it with bark. What a smell. I mean, how wonderful. Like having, yeah. living in a cedar closet. A cedar cl- yeah, that's what know? I was thinking of. Um, the people were very friendly, um, didn't wear a lot of clothes. Yeah. I think that kind of blew a lot of people's minds when they first came and saw them. That, you know, they were scantily dressed, but. They were natives. These people were ready for whatever, the weather, uh, conditions. They lived on the beaches. They lived off the sea. They made their own tools out of stone. How did they stay warm in the wintertime? The wood was so plentiful, and they would have it cut and pre-cut and already stashed in another what they would call a lodge. A lodge was a lot longer than a wigwam, but in the same fashion, it's probably what looked the Quonset hut looks like to us today okay, yeah and i think we kind of copied that wow. yeah yeah really <laughs> well as cbs did anyways and the, and the and the armed forces uh that's they re, they used for training everybody lived in a quonset hut huh. they actually originated in rhode island at quonset point that's what the cbs and the navy were building to stash all of their men in ammo just in case we were attacked by the germans uh during world war ii i'm sorry the term i Oh my God, I never made that connection. The term Quonset Hut came from Quonset Point in Rhode Island. Duh. Right. Wow. Quonset I'm, Indians, right? Was there a tribe called the Quonset? Quonset, Quanticatog, yeah. Petacomskit. I never, you know how your brain just sometimes doesn't put two guy, and two together? He knows wow. This stuff. <laughs> it's crazy. What I find amazing is so you taught me a little bit about looking for points and that would be spears arrowheads but you you go for tools everything you 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 have an eye for this um just that you could find one point and you've you've brought the book out with me and said oh i see you found this one this one's you know 1500 years old and then another one's fourth what was the one my wife found 2000 bc we both have the same one. Yes. It's, it's 2500 BC. 2500 BC. That's this one right Holy here. Holy cow. How do you date something like that? Well, this is what we call a squib knock. It's a certain type of point. It is eared and notched. This came from the Indian tribes from Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, squib knock at Pond out go. on Martha's Vineyard. So this is the style. This one here. I'm gonna put pictures of these up on our uh, on our Facebook page too because it's so cool. Yeah, Pat's holding up the points that we're discussing right now. This is what we call eared. When something is eared, the okay. bottom is cut out like that, huh. and then eared and notched. Now, the one that Rich's wife found, um, 
probably a little bit older and razor sharp, much better condition. This so sharp, it, it looked like a steak knife right off the assembly line. Really? Yeah. yeah well, you know, I I'll tell you the story of hold hold one is up for me. Let me take a quick pic. We're doing selfies right now. Yeah, we have to because <laughs> you got to see some of this. Stuff. Look at oh, that. That's a great one. So these are all Thank now. You. These are your private collection you yes i share them with with people i every now and then come to um the historic society with kevin mcbride professor mcbride uh he is my counselor and what i find i've also and what does he do tell us quickly who he is, he is. he's a teacher he worked um with the pequot tribe he helped build the pequot museum yes which i would totally tell you to go to if you get the chance it's right up the road from my house there you go you you, you just you'll be so amazed that they actually have a camp and buildings and tools and everybody dressed the way that they were dressed six thousand to seven thousand years ago wow and he runs does is he in charge of the digs so there are certain areas of the island and you maybe you can tell us where they are when somebody's ready to they purchase a piece of land and they want to build a house in certain areas out here they have first rights just to go in and look for artifacts first. They're not going to stop the building or anything like that. It's a matter of not having things get destroyed and lost. Is that true? That's true. They they do survey the land. Um, They go down a few feet. How deep? Well, they can go anywhere from two to three feet. Okay. And they're not necessarily looking for these artifacts that I have found, but they're looking for proof of bone from what they ate from their diet grain from what they ate in their diet where it was located where the camp actually is you could actually find some of the posts still in the ground wow that were holding the wigwams uh in place what else have what else have you found besides the points um i found uh this right here it's called a, a line sinker and it was rope was tied around the middle of this because it looks just like a rock, a round rock. Right. But do you see the groove going? There all is around? a groove it's, it's that goes. So yeah, that rope it's, around. it's about the size of an of, a, of an avocado. But there's a like a. a How did groove. they make the groove with another? Just another another stone? tool. It's called the process was called pecking, and they would use a harder stone. This is quartzite. This okay. is mainly what everything was made out of. There, you know, there is no flint around here. If you do find it, it's probably from an old flintlock from 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 the old days. But the line would go over this. There'd be a string of them, and just below there, there would be another line with a hook made of bone. They would set that bait, and they would set these in a line. Whether wow. they were in Great Salt Pond or they were out in the ocean, these were reliable enough that they would sit and hold place and probably catch themselves a 20 or 30 pound sturgeon. Wow. And is it true, when you say those arrows or those points that are notched, did you tell me, this is a pretty wild one if I get this right, they would take like the tendons out of an animal while they were still fresh and, and soft, Pliably. and then they, would, then they would tie the arrow with those notches onto whatever it was going on, a spear or an arrowhead or whatever, and then it would dry, and it would become, is that how they did it? It was called sinewy. What's it called? Sinewy. Okay. And it's, it was a long string. It was found in the muscle of the deer or whatever they were doing. And yes, they would save that, and they could warm it up and wet it. And once they wrapped it around the shaft of the arrow, um, it would just naturally dry by itself, and it would look like somebody had melted wax all the way around it. Wow. It would go from a white substance and dry as an amber color around that and 
unless you broke that thing, it would never come off. So how do you know, I mean, where to look and, and what you're looking for? I mean, obviously you've been doing it for a long time, but for someone like myself, if I'm just walking around and I wanted to look for points or anything, how would I do that? First of all, what you might see is pieces of quartz that are smashed and broken. The natives would take a cobble, which is a round stone, preferably, and it would be quartzite. They would smack it with what they call a hammer stone, which was a much harder stone, and break it into pieces. Those flakes and shards that came off of there, some of them were ready to be worked on, and it was called flint napping, where they would start chipping it off with a antler bone and trying to shape it and work it all the, work it all the way down until um, they got what they wanted. And that's pretty much what one of these is right here. Wow. Which is amazing that it's not broken. I have one of those. You do. He does yeah. have one of these. These are about three to four thousand years old. Holy cow! I found mine sticking out of the. It was after a rainstorm. Am I allowed to? Should I, should I give these secrets away? No one's going to know. Okay. It was at the very sharp corner on Coast Guard Road because yeah. New Harbor. You said around around Great Salt Pond was a summertime residence on on different sides. Yes, and they're beneficial to for the oysters, which were. Much bigger than the ones we eat today. Yeah, and they, could you imagine eating one of those like 18-inch wow. oysters raw? Dinner's over. The minute you put it on my plate. <laughs> oh, I slid off my plate and hurt my foot. Um, but yeah, I found it at that sharp curve just sticking out. That's no, where you find yeah. a lot of erosion. You see them sticking out of the, you know, I got, so I found one. I'll put a picture up of that, that yeah. one there. I was so excited, and my wife is like, "Oh, how come you don't get as excited when I find a, you know, a glass float in the glass float part?" Well, I'm like, nobody dropped that three thousand years ago, yeah, you know, whatever. Like, yeah. So she goes, "Well, how do you find them?" I'm like, "Well, you just kind of keep an eye, and certainly you're walking down a trail. If there's erosion in the cliff, you could see things. You'll sticking see a little out. point sticking out." She comes home with an arrowhead. That it was one of those things where she's like, "Is this one any good?" It's called a point, Richard. Uh, she came home with a point, and she's basically like, is this one any good? And, like, all the guys like Pat are like, you got to be kidding me. Like, no That's way. her first one. Like, she found the one. The unicorn of all I mean, She points, found a, a pretty yeah. close to a unicorn, and it's not even supposed to be from this area, right? Did we discuss how that even got here? Right. It it could have been uh, when there was a battle battle going on um, between the, the ah. Indians and, and Montauk Indians and uh, Niantic, which we were Nyanic Manasee is the Indian tribe, but they were the Nyanic Indians, more or less these people that didn't just live on the land and farm. They were out in the ocean. They were whaling. They were bringing in big wow. fish, different stuff, you know. So were the Manasees, the Manaseans here, were they under constant, you know, attack from other tribes around or was did it go like in waves, you know? It, like, it went in waves, but, you know, it, it because of the French and the different people that they were trading with, um, some of them were enticed to go take, go get that land and we'll give you this and you give us this much wampum or whatever it yeah. is that they wanted in payment. Um, and wampum was made from the quahog shell, quahog shell? Correct. And they would carve out tiny little beads. That is correct. And that became their money. Well, it was, so for some people it was Sim money, but also it was a symbol of uh, a family and what they were in order. You may have a lot of wampum. And that's because you have a big family, right? And you um, you possess this, and it's it's something that's precious to you. But 
when it came time to dealing with the English and the French, sometimes that was the only way that they could be paid huh. is by the fathom. Okay. Fathom is six feet. Oh. So imagine a, wow. how long that would six take foot yeah. string of to, wampum? to make that. Yeah. Do you have any wampum? Have you found that? I have not. I okay. have not been blessed with it. Has that. it been found out here, though? Yes, it has. So, okay, it does exist out here. Yes, at the Indian Fort, which is across from the hog pen. And a, we don't really know a lot about what that was, but that was one of the first digs that I heard of where the wampum was found. By the little bridge. That's, yep. that's correct. Where, right after the little bridge. Right where near hill. where Fort, uh, Fort, Fort Island, Island Kayaks. Kayaks launches from down yeah. below, behind Champ's house. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's, it's on the hill right across the road. That's what they call Fort Island. Okay. So, and. So. So in 1661, the quote-unquote settlers get here, <laughs> right? And how long did did they just get here and that was it? They're like, or did, was there some kind of peacefulish coexistence for a bit? Or well, there was purchaser people who were purchasing the um, the land, and there were the settlers who came along with the purchase to settle up what pieces of land they wanted to sell for farming, building. Uh, there's not much written about how that all went down. Yeah, I don't, right. think, it, and, I don't think it went well. It didn't go well. And you know, a lot of people would say, well, if I put this stone wall up from there over there, that's all my land. And so they also had the thing where if you wanted to lease out the land to another settler, you, you were able to do that. You say, this is your partial land, consider it yours, but give me a quarter of what your corn is this year or whatever it could but be. But for the most part, the Indians, the Native Americans, didn't have much say in anything. It just kind of got just, taken away. They got pushed around. They were living in a few camps that probably weren't very valuable to farmers. Um, you know, Sort of like a small-scale version of what happened in the nation. Exactly. Pushed on to reservations. And, their and then little- the, the sickness that came from other sailors as they started to trade with the Indians affected mostly the women and children first. Almost wiped them all out. Wow. Within how long of a time span are we talking from since 1661? Well, you know, within 100 years, there was only so many Indians left. That was it. They were either farmers, slaves, or whalers. And it was kind of a wheeler deal thing. You either did it or you went and lived yeah. with another tribe on the mainland. Yeah. But the Narragansetts got pushed so far, you know, that... There just wasn't a lot of room for it anymore. Yeah. They had to adapt, which was sad. But they do. The Narragansetts do have a strong tribe, and they prove it every year in Charleston at the powwow. And you should uh, experiment with that and, and go go to it. You would be definitely impressed with yeah. uh, the clothing, the dancing, and to uh, be called Washita. Excuse me. God bless you. <laughs> Washita is white man. That's what we've considered. Indians would see us coming, and someone would, some lookout would say, Washita, Washita, meaning the white man is coming. Wow. And then everything went down the shitter after those words right. were spoken, pretty yeah. much. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so what, when you, uh, sorry, Mark. No, go ahead. So the Narragansett, so the Indians on Block Island, were they, were they a vi- village of the Narragansett? How does it work? Is there like a tribe and then there's sub? sub villages of the tribe a lot of tribes came out here to trade because there was excellent hunting out here duck and birds were were a big thing for everyone's diet people would yep. canoe over here and um, hunt all day and take it to the mainland and trade and as we know this is a, an amazing migratory path 
for so many birds stop on block island exactly so it was like a they had they had to stop here and you could get them it was like swans were one of their delicacies there were so many swans it was unbelievable they ate swan yeah I don't oh, care for yeah. swan myself. They're very nasty birds. I know yeah. that much. Well, right. I, mean, I, think, the, I meant the taste. It's a little. Oh, I've never had a. Have never oh, had swan before. Oh. <laughs> um, is there a record of the? I guess quote unquote last indigenous person, fully indigenous family that was here, or they just kind of it just kind of went away. And well, and the second follow up to that would be, uh, do you know? Is there anyone on the island that has? original Manassean blood in their veins. I would say Shirlene Goldberg. Okay. Yeah. She's the only person that I, really? that I know. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Um, and the last guy, I forgot his name. It, it's in one of the history books. Okay. The store site. But yeah, there was, it was just down to like one last, one last yeah. person. Wow. Uh, which was in a, kind of sad because he had no story to tell. Oh, so with the Native Americans, just, you must remember, nothing was written. Okay. All there, oral tradition. Yes. Yeah. And petroglyphs were few and far to find. Out in the West, you find petroglyphs. And when I mean petroglyphs, yeah. I mean something inscribed on a stone, a character, a meaning, or a design. I've only found one out here in my whole time that I've been searching, and I've been doing this for six years. Wow. Wow. So it's, um, you know, as much as we love Block Island and we you know, pay respect and tribute to the founders of the island. And, you know, there is this uh, kind of cloud hanging over it in certain respects. There is. We don't really know the final ending of what kind of happened. It was Roger Williams. Thank God he had um, fell into the native tribe and knew their tongue. And because of that, they trusted him. And he brought a lot of freedom, uh, a lot of trading, a lot of honesty between the magistracy and in Boston, of not slaughtering the Indians, but learning and trading and li- trying to live with them within themselves and their villages. Wow. Mm. This has been so interesting and fascinating. I mean, I yeah. didn't know any of this. Oh, you know? it's good stuff. I'm going to take pictures of all the, the different points and stuff. And, um, you know, you've collect- you found some tools as well besides the, the weight, you know. Um, right. Um, this necessarily is not an arrow point. This is what we would call a stone knife. I use the term paleo, meaning this, these people were not cavemen, but they was of the Ice Age, and people learned to live with that. So this is actually, as you can see, only has one face that was really done correctly. Yeah. And it has like a handle with a sharp edge, which you can still cut yourself with. Wow. But the other side is flat. And these are what we call bifaced because they were worked on both sides of the stone and you can see where they tooled and worked each side and then flint napped to get this edge and most of these edges were serrated and i mean yeah. very sharp and what did the in the shafts of the arrows and the 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 uh quail they, they use feathers obviously yes. from birds um how long would it take start to finish to make one arrow if if you know well just to make the point itself it might take them, they can make maybe three or four a day. Yeah. And then get those ready and then another day or two to get the shafts. And they like to use turkey feathers because it made them really fly. Yeah. And a lot of these arrows were not uh, just a couple of summers as much as 36 inches long. Oh, wow. So they really had a pull on, on them when they took them. Some were done with bows and the other was used as they call a ladle. 
And a ladle is a very prehistoric device where the shaft is put into a stick, which is a handle, and it's thrown over the shoulder. And so a spear, so more or less. Sling the arrow. That's oh, correct. Sling. Sling it. oh. it's, a, it's still an yeah. arrow and gotcha. projectile, but they would sling it over their shoulder. Wow. We're doing so many hand gestures on a podcast. It's really a hard one. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. That is amazing. Yeah, very neat stuff. Pat gave me one. Uh, it's got a break in it, but it's a it's a point, but it's the size of my hand. It's it's huge. It's wow. a huge. I would assume a spearhead. Yeah, and you know, yeah, really. You know. the, the water really does a number on them. They get water worn. They're really yeah. not that visible. Smooth. But I actually I have a book that even um, Kevin McBride refers to quite often that will actually show you the size, um, what the name of it is, and the period of when it was made. Wow. They even did it. They came out and did a little excavation. They do a lot on Corn Neck Road on the on the uh, south side of Corn Neck Road or the e- west side. West side. West side of Corn Neck Road. That was one of the first ones I yeah, went so on. So if, if you're driving up there and you see like the, the grid, it's like three by three squares of a whole field. That's what they're doing. They'll sample like every third one. And if they find something, then they'll do more around. Is that how yeah. they do it? Mm-hmm. But they even did one right by Twin Maples, right next to the main road, right? When they were digging up to do the water line because there's a well on Twin Maples that feeds the Peach Pavilion. Correct. And they had to do some digging there. They found some shells, oyster shells, in a big pile, which we call middens. Now that could be one of two things. It was either where the food was prepared and they just dumped all the shells, or it could be a sacred place and there could be someone down below that. Wow. So they have to respect that to determine whether this is a grave or this was just a place where they just dumped them all. Yeah. And between Ranowski's and Twin Maples was the biggest place that uh, they were notified when they started digging. Mm-hmm. Man. Neat. Right that down the is side of the road. Insane. So crazy. Pat, this is really interesting. Thanks so much for, for chatting with us. When, uh, we are getting a little short on time, though. So... Um, you know, I'd love to learn more somehow. Or is there any way you could let our listeners ha- know how and where they could learn more about, you know? I would say if you're on the beach, especially on around Great Salt Pond, at a super low tide, everything comes in and tumbles yeah. and it gets flipped over. Sometimes the beaches are sandy. Sometimes they're full of stone. I would say start looking for quartzite, pieces okay. of quartzite, pieces that are irregular yeah. or, or may look like that were somebody had taken a chunk out of yeah. to use it and then just left it there. Huh. Well, there you go. There's another block Island hobby yeah. pastime yeah. that you can engage in. I never thought to do it, but I think it's I'm going to, I don't it's have much neat. going on and for the rest a, of the day. I might, there's a few hardcore guys out here too. Yeah. yeah. I, know, I know a few of them yeah. too. Yeah. They get really into it. Super cool. And there's a few that'll show you something that makes no sense at all. <laughs> yeah. There's I, I think of that's, they still think that's just a rock. No yeah. offense. Yeah. No. We, yeah. 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 Well, you know, Hey, <laughs> you got to use your imagination sometimes. Um, so Pat, before we let you go, we like to do, uh, uh, this thing with all of our listeners that we call the lightning round. Uh, we just basically ask you silly questions and uh, you just uh, give us your answer. Yeah, don't whatever. give them too much thought. Yeah. The are questions you... really don't make much sense. But you And know. you don't have to do it if you don't want. But are, you, are you game? Oh, he's game. doing it. All right. He's doing it. He's doing it. All right. Uh, Rich, lead it off. All right. What's your favorite U.S. city? Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, Rodman's Hollow or Sleepy Hollow? Rodman's Hollow. Spearhead or arrowhead? Spearhead. 
If you are invisible, can you see through your eyelids when you close your eyes? <laughs> yes. Who's your favorite music artist? John Lennon. Oh, nice one. Yep. Uh, do you know how to salsa dance? I do not. Do you prefer to ask permission or beg for forgiveness? Ask permission. Excellent. Good one. Great one. Great answers. Great I could, answers. Great answers. Yeah. Pat, yeah, great guest. This yeah. is so enlightening. Amazing. A little bit of everything. Like I said, stories from the old days and some stories and info about the from the old, real old, old, old days. Old days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you could only get a drink at the Monday night club with some wampum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. Hey, thank you thank for being you here, for Pat. Being here. This is a, a great conversation. Yeah. And we had a lot of fun having you here. Um, thanks for listening again to our episode. I hope you uh, found Pat as interesting as we do. And uh, reach out to us uh, anytime. Let us have your suggestions, ideas for guests, or just say hello. Uh, our email is two guys on bi at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on all of the proper social media channels and uh, wherever you listen to our podcast, whether it's Apple or Spotify, please subscribe to our podcast so that uh, it just pops up uh, every Wednesday when we drop these great episodes. Yeah. And tell your friends. That's the best way. Right. If you like it, share it. Share it. All right. Thanks again, Pat. Thanks, Pat. Thank you. All right. All See right. you next week. See ya. Hey, Rich. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about carving uh, some arrowheads. Do you happen to have like a uh, like a set of uh, like craftsman like a gr- power grinder I have, or anything I could I could use? Yeah, I have everything you need. It's right down next to Great Salt Pond, just around that first bend. Okay, right cool. on the beach. All you'll right, find, you'll see. You can't miss it. It's All right, right there. Can I borrow a generator too? No. What shall we do with the sailor? What shall we do with the sailor?